Yeah, my name is Luke. If you're a visitor here, you're looking and you don't know me. I'm one of the leaders in this church. It's such a privilege to be led by a team of leaders. Um, and it's just, just a wonderful, healthy way of doing church and doing church leadership. So cool to be under the shade of the tent here, hey? And I know that this day is just getting more and more beautiful outside there as it unravels. So soon enough, we'll be able to walk out under the trees, grab a cup of coffee. But before we do that... I'm so excited for what it is that God is going to do today. It's going to be a bit of a mix of two things. We're going to be landing our origin series. Um, So that's been 10 weeks that culminates today. And then we're going to be looking at how actually that origin series points towards a day that we're celebrating today in the global church calendar called Pentecost, as you've seen already. And uh, it's going to be a real interesting journey. And so we're going to start off zooming out as we look at the whole of the origins journey. Then we're going to zoom in on one text in the Old Testament, the kind of punchline of our origin series, before we transition into what does this moment mean for us as a church in the story of Pentecost as we get there. That's where we're going. We're going to span the full breadth of the scriptures. If you've got a Bible, once you open it up, uh, it'll be good to follow along um, as we make our way from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through to the story of Pentecost and we finish in Galatians actually together as a church. It's going to be a whirlwind tour. Are you ready? Hope you took your vitamins this morning. Buckle up. What I'm going to do today is I want to tie a bow around our origin series and I want to connect the dots, as I said, to Pentecost. I want to show you how the plan of God through the ages has always been that the nations and the far parts of the earth, which is where we live, by the way, the South Peninsula of Africa, would be reached with the gospel. And how God's people come alive um, because of the Spirit of God poured out in our hearts. And so let's have an overview of 10 weeks we've been living in uh, the the book of Genesis, chapter 1 to 11, our origins series. We've uh, we followed the, these 11 chapters by looking at specific themes, stopping along the way and diving deep. What we want to do today see is how all of these themes fit together to form the master plan of God, right? So that's what the, this little next uh, 10 minutes is about, seeing the master plan of God in uh, Genesis chapter 1 11. If you if you missed our origin series, it's available for download and listen. I'd encourage you to do that. But today and right now, it's going to show you how all these things fit together. Does that make sense? There is a great unfolding drama that God has been orchestrating right throughout Genesis 1 through 11. And so today we're going to step and we're going to behold that great play, that great drama that God has been unfolding um, before us. Act 1, scene 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth as the spotlight of this drama unfolding shines in on one character. It's God, the creator of everything that is. Nothing was created outside of him. When you, when you look at the, the universe, we, we saw in our origins journey, there's really only three options when it comes to answering the question, how did we come to be here? Well, the first option is blind luck. We looked at that. The second one is the multiverse or parallel universes. And the third one being intentional design. And and what we did when we looked at that message was we actually said, blind luck, that just is ridiculous. It just turns out the universe, it's just too lucky, right? Blind luck doesn't work. We're forced with these two decisions. It's it's a parallel universes or it's intentional designs. And when you look at it, um, every one of us has to look logically and every one of us has to take a step of faith wherever you you land. And we looked at it... 
and from our perspective, uh, the, the, the wisdom leans towards and the logic leans towards intelligent designer. But we've all got to take a step of faith as well. We looked at the role in which God played in, in bringing this universe into being, the intelligent design behind all of it. And when we, when we zoomed out, not even looking at the Bible, but just looking at the cosmos, and ask the question, when you look at our world, when you look at the cosmos, what kind of creator does it point to? We saw at the very least, it points to a designer with the most incredible power, the most incredible energy beyond anything we could ever understand. We saw how um, when you look at the scale and the, the, and the, the complexity, uh, com- scale and the complexity of our universe, we saw that this creator, this designer must have an intelligence beyond what any of us could ever understand, and at the very least, an appreciation too of beauty, both at a, at a micro level when you zoom in and you look at a butterfly, and then at a macro level when you zoom out and you look at the, the, the great nebulas of space. Creativity and beauty just ooze through all of creations, uh, through all of God's creations. Genesis, the story of origins, as we read Genesis 1 to 3, we said this, that, that we don't read this book Genesis 1 to 3, um, to tell us how God made the world and how long it took him. That wasn't the intention of the original author. We read Genesis to tell us the who and the why. Who is God and why did he create this world? And, and when you do that, you're not adding meaning that it was never intended to be there in the first place. But what you discover is that these few chapters make incredible sense of our human experience and, and explain to us so much about meaning and purpose and where we fit in, in the world. Act 1, Character Sean, uh, spotlight Sean on one character. It's God. Sorry, I need to switch this onto airplane mode. I'm getting text messages as I'm busy preaching. And because I move around so much, they come up and then they speak to me while I'm, try- I'm in too many places at once. Act one, the spotlight of God shining, the spotlight shining onto God. Act two, we see two new characters take the stage in this great drama. And we read together, uh, I mean, Genesis chapter one, verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Uh, the spotlight now pans out and with God on stage is two characters. It's Adam and Eve, human beings. God makes a garden. And he puts the garden at the center of the earth, if you will. He calls the garden Eden, which means paradise. I I wonder if you knew this, but Eden was not the whole world. The whole world was not Eden, but Eden was a garden at the center of the world. And at the center of the garden, he places two human beings. The spotlight shines on these two characters, Adam and Eve. They are man and woman, male and female. They are 100% equal in value and worth and dignity. But they're different as well. And together, these Adam and Eve bear the image of God, the climax of all creation. They're unique uh, among all the creatures of God, and that they're the only creatures who who bear the image of God. Uh, God gives them a spirit. He makes them alive to Him in a way in which frogs and penguins and hippopotamuses are just simply not alive to God. It's a special um, spirit that God puts into us as human beings, and we're alive to Him in extraordinarily different ways than the rest of creation. And He he takes these creatures and He places them, Adam and Eve, at the center of the garden, which is at the center of creation. And he gives them a mission. He gives them a purpose, which is linked to their identity. Their identity is they are image bearers. 
They are in the image and likeness of God. Much like the moon reflects the light from the sun and the darkness back to the earth, so we as human beings reflect the likeness of God into his creation. He puts us at the center of the garden and he gives us a mission and a purpose. The mission is to extend Eden, to cover the globe, to, fu- to, to, to go forth and multiply, to fill the earth and to order it, to subdue it according to the plans and the purposes and the character of God. He says, human beings, you are here to represent and reflect me. And you do that by, and this is your purpose and your mission in life, to extend Eden, to cover the globe. Human beings have got purpose and meaning. And it extends today to this, to this very day through our vocations, through your work, accountants, plumbers, teachers, cleaners, through your life roles, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, teachers, through your roles in life, we're extending Eden, the kingdom of God, to cover the globe. We also saw the importance of rest. God rested on the seventh day. Human beings designed and created for rest. The only creatures in all the world who rest. You never see a dolphin, you never see a horse, you never see a cow, a dog take a day off, do you? No, it's, it's to be in the image of God is to stop and to rest, to understand as human beings, God gave us responsibility to extend Eden, but he never gave us control of the world. And when we rest, we cease from what we can do and we remind ourselves, God, I cannot engineer every outcome. I am not in control. And so I stop today and I remember that you are God and you are in control and I stop and I'm at peace in you. And we rest. And we gather with the people of God in the presence of God. And we delight in the goodness of God. Because to rest is to be human. And God looked at his good world. He looked at paradise and he said, it is very good. But then in the third act, something went horribly wrong. A third character enters the story in act three. The serpent, the Satan. Adam and Eve chose to follow the Satan, the serpent, away from God. And in so doing, they themselves, we saw, were corrupted. It wasn't just that evil was now out there, but evil was in here, in every single human heart. No longer out there in the shadows, but within every human heart. Yes, we bear and we're in the image of God. That was not lost. But now alongside is this evil thread as well, which shapes who we are as human beings. And from that moment on, our lives were marked by suffering and sin and even death. But in the midst of the third act, God makes a promise. It's Spotlight on God, it's spotlight on Adam and Eve, it's now spotlight on the serpent, four characters in the story. But lurking in the shadows, in the darkness, comes a fifth character into the story in the midst of this promise. You see, God is speaking, the spotlight's on God as he addresses the serpent, the Satan, and he curses him for what he's done. And then he speaks to Adam and Eve and he explains the consequences of their rejection of him. But in the midst of this Working out of the consequences of sin, God speaks and a fifth character is, is, is kind of just beginning to be illuminated in the stories. We see the promise and he says that one day through the woman, the seed of the woman will be born and he will be the snake crusher. He will defeat Satan. He will, he will undo what was lost. He will defeat evil. He will break death and he will cover over the sin of God's people. And there lurking in the shadows, sort of visible but sort of hidden is the snake crusher, promised who would come. He would defeat sin, he would defeat death, and he would restore all that was lost. And the scene ends 
in scene three, in total darkness, but for a light, a hope, a promise of one who is waiting in the shadows, the promised seed who would come to the woman. Act four opens up, and it's darkness everywhere. It's paradise lost. Human beings still in the image of God, yet with evil rampant in their hearts, cut off from the presence of God, living now outside of the garden. And two new characters take the stage. They're the descendants of the woman. Remember Eve who was promised the snake crusher would come through her. Now she has two sons, Cain and Abel, and she rejoices because she thinks now the light is shining on the sun. And so the snake crusher is going to come. And then she's heartbroken as Cain kills his brother Abel and in the process disqualifies himself. And it seems like that promise that was hiding and lurking in the shadows, waiting, just seems to fade further away. But God is faithful. And, she gives, and he gives to Eve another son whose name is Seth. And the promised line, the lineage continues. The snake, the, the, the snake crusher, the, the Satan defeater, the lineage continues through Seth. And then Act 5 opens up. At the, after the end of Act 4, Act 5 opens up. It's a flood. It's a fresh start. Many, many years go by. We didn't get to look too deeply at this at all um, in, our, in our series, but many years go by, and what happens is darkness covers the earth. It's like the sin and the evil within the human heart is multiplying and multiplying, and from one generation to the next, becoming more destructive and more destructive, and eventually things get so bad, evil and suffering so badly pervade the world that God sends a great flood. He has to intervene, and there's almost like a fresh start, and God promises after that that he would never again do something like that. He would find a new way, a different way to save humanity humanity. And so Noah and his family are spared, and they're given the same mission to fill the earth, to extend the image of God, to fill the earth. To fill the earth. It's uh, Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1, they do that. The question is, will they do it? And then we read and we saw that actually instead of going out to fill the world last week, we saw how they settle. And they build a city in honor of building a name for themselves, a city with all the people who look like them and sound like them and smell like them, etc., etc. It's a city that is centered on selfishness, on sameness, and my own personal security. That's what Babel was all about. Rather than going into the world like God said, they said, we're going to stay here and live for ourselves in sameness, in selfishness, and in security. And God looks down on this great city. And he says, you were designed for so much more than self-preservation. You were designed to go and to multiply and to fill the earth with my personhood. And instead, you've settled here in this little pea patch for yourselves. And God scatters them and he breaks up the party and the nations are born. And And act six, I forget, I lost track. Are we five or six? Act six closes. And we ask ourselves this question, is there any hope for the nations who've been scattered on the earth? What has happened to the snake crusher? Will he come? Where is the Satan crusher? And as we read in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26, as the light begins to shine on a man named Abram, we read, and when Terah had lived for 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This man, Abram, would now take the spotlight as we transition from Genesis chapter 11 and we move towards more history as well as we see how this happens. We see Abram is born and Abraham, or he becomes Abraham. I'm going to make that mistake lots today. I apologize. I'm going to call Abram Abraham, but he does become Abraham in, in a few chapters time. So it's the same guy. And this guy, Abram, is born and he takes stage and God calls him in that moment and everything changes. Now we read how God calls him in Genesis 12 and verse 1 to 3. 
And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred. So go from your country and your people and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you remember when God said, go forth and multiply, fill the earth? Do you remember Babel when they didn't and then God scattered them? And we ask ourselves the question, is there any hope for reaching the nations? And the answer is yes, because straight away Genesis 12 comes in and God says, through you, all the nations, all who were scattered through Babel will be blessed. And God makes a promise to Abram. Abram, who's the descendant of Noah, who's the descendant of Seth, who's the, who's the descendant of Eve, that through you, your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Uh, in what way are the nations of the earth going to be blessed? Many ways. I'd say the most prominent and primary of which is the promised seed, the snake crusher who was hiding in the, in the shadows or was hidden in the shadows would come through Abram and he would ultimately defeat evil. He would break the curse of sin and death. Abraham would have a son named Isaac. Isaac would have a son named Jacob. Jacob's name would become Israel. Israel would become a nation and through Israel, Jesus would come and crush the head of the evil one. Defeat death and sin and shame once and for all. And it's this promise that makes us follow this family called Israel, this nation eventually they become called Israel because of this promise that was given to them in Genesis chapter 12. Now, does Abraham obey? And the answer is yes, he does. He does. It's exactly what happens. When you step back and you look at the sweep of our origins journey, you can literally trace this promise. Well, promise one lurking in the shadows as he comes through through Seth, and then he comes through Noah, and then he comes through Abraham, and then he comes through the whole of the Old Testament, ultimately culminating in Christ, we see. I, I, I share with you this sweeping view because I want you to know Genesis 1 to 11 is not just a bunch of different things that happen, but it's the masterful plan of God through the ages to save and to redeem the world through Christ. It wasn't a whimsical flip decision, but all throughout history, God has been planning to save human beings through Jesus. And we see this right from Genesis right throughout. Through your descendants, Abe, I will put the world to right again. Through you, the, the nations scattered in, ba- scattered in Babel to the far reaches of the globe will be reached. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, we're going to zoom out again just now. Well, we've been zoomed out. We're going to zoom in now for a second, and then we're going to zoom out again as we connect it to us. But I want to just quickly zoom in on this passage we've read here. What do we learn about God from Abraham? What do we learn about us from Abram? Sorry. The first thing I want to say in this passage that we've just read is that God calls and invites us to join his great work by grace. Abram was called and chosen by grace. He was a pagan. He was a sun and moon worshiper. And then one day God comes down and he 
he arrests his life and he invites him to join him as he's renewing the world. God sweeps, sweeps up Abram into his great purposes to save and to renew this world. But not because Abram was anything special. It wasn't that he was a particularly good guy. It wasn't that he obeyed all the laws. You must remember, the book of Exodus was only written, only came next. Exodus wasn't here yet. Abram didn't have the law. God said you, Abram, simply by grace, by the, because the favor of God was on his life. It was by grace that God sweeps up Abram into his great work. And it's exactly the same for you and me. So quickly our hearts tend towards performance. God, you're going to choose me. God, you're going to use me because I've been performing. I've been doing the right thing. I'm a good person. I've been obeying the law. That's not why God chooses you. And it's not why God chooses me. He chooses each of us because he is gracious to us. Now, let me stop and ask you this morning, how do you relate to God? Are you relating to God on the basis of how you're doing performance-wise? Or are you relating to God because he has chosen you and called you and invited you into his plan by grace and by grace alone? How are you doing? You're straying into performance. The second thing we learn from Abram is what must we do when God calls us by grace? What must we do like Abram? Respond to God's call in faith. Respond to God's call in faith. God said to Abram, go from your country and the land of your kindred to your father's, uh, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abraham was told, basically, pack your bags and go. Leave behind everything you know and take a very long walk around a very scary desert to get to a place that you've never seen before. Go there. And what did he do? He did it. He left behind his whole life and he responded in faith. By faith, Abe had to leave his past behind him. Let me stop and ask you, is there stuff in your past that, that should stay, it's in your present, but it should become part of your past? Not because you think that way God will love you more. No, but because God has called you and chosen you by grace. Are there things that you need to leave behind in order to walk into the land which God would have for you? We see Abraham is called by grace, but he responds in faith. Have you responded by faith to God? And then the second thing about Abraham responding in faith is by faith, Abraham had to inherit the promise God made to him. And Hebrews speaks about this. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, um, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he's going. We've looked in part at that, but that word inheritance is an interesting one. When you and I hear inheritance, we think modern inheritance. How do you receive an inheritance? Someone who knows you or loves you or someone in your life passes away, they die, and then they leave behind an inheritance for you. What do you have to do to receive that inheritance? Absolutely nothing. That's not what inheritance means in the Bible. When God said, Abraham, I'm giving you that, that, that land as an inheritance, they had to walk into that land. They had to take that land. There was obstacles. There was challenge. To inherit something in the biblical sense is to go by faith into something that God is leading, into you, leading you into. But it's going to have challenges. It's going to have obstacles. It's going to have opposition. And in all of that, though, you keep walking forward. You are inheriting that land. You're, you're by faith walking into that which God has got for you. But it's not just something that you receive passively. It's something that you actively walk into by faith. This is what Abraham modeled. 
It's exactly what's going to be true for us as a church. It is now and it's going to continue to be. As we as a people begin to walk into our inheritance, we should expect opposition, we should expect challenge, we should expect difficulty, but we should lean in by faith and in all of those things expect that God would help us to inherit that which he has promised us. I wonder are there things in your life that you, are, you should be actively pursuing in terms of inheriting that God has promised to you? Maybe you've been passive. God calls us by grace. Oh, just received. Didn't perform, didn't earn, didn't get anything. Oh, welcomed in totally by grace. But then we respond with faith and we walk into the promises and the will of God. Have you perhaps got stuck in passive? We learn from Abraham to, in faith, walk further. Makes sense so far. Okay, bit of a Mengelmus today. That's a, if you're American, you will be totally lost on Mengelmus. I apologize. We've seen, we've seen how Genesis right through is the great plan of God to redeem and to save the whole world. You see, God is on a mission to, to share with the whole world, all the nations, who he is to fill the globe. And he, he invites a man, Abraham, in. A whole nation would come in order that the whole world would come to know who Christ is. Where does that leave us today as a church? As we zoom out again, let's pick up the great story. Abraham leads his family to the land. His descendants or his seed become a great nation. And every passage of the Old Testament that we track with as we make our way through the Old Testament reveals more and more of that snake crusher who was hiding in the shadows. More and more through the Old Testament he's revealed until ultimately, eventually, he is born to Mary. The snake crusher comes. It's Christ. He comes. He defeats Satan on the cross as he's raised back to life. And here's a, here's a word if you're new to church, you won't know this word. And the Gentiles are invited in to the promise of God. Gentiles simply mean those who were outside of the family of God, uh, non-Jews, not part of Abraham's family, are now invited in through what Christ has done. And we read about this in Galatians chapter 3 verse 14. Read this with me here. And Christ redeemed us in order that, think of Abraham's promise. Think of God's mission to reach the whole world. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, all the outsiders, all the nations of the earth, through Christ Jesus, so that they, by faith, might receive the promise. What was the great promise? The promise of the Holy Spirit poured out in our lives. Remember what was lost in the garden, the presence of God, the people of God no longer in the presence of God. Now throughout history, the promised snake crusher has come, has defeated evil, has defeated death. Through Christ, the people of God restored into the presence of God as we receive the spirit of God. Does that make sense? What does it mean to receive the spirit of God? God himself, no longer in a temple over there, but God himself within us, our bodies becoming the very temple of God as he himself comes and dwells within us, making his home in us, living within us and inviting us to continue his mission to the world. We we inherit Abraham's promise as we through Christ are filled with the Spirit of God, restored, that which was lost in the garden, restored to us. On the day of Pentecost, really, 
this day that we celebrate. So now that you've seen the full scope of the gambit, let me ask the last question today. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? We've, gone, we've zoomed out. We've gone right throughout the whole of history, a long way around, right? But now we've reached our destination. And here's the question. What does the Holy Spirit do in your life and my life? Yea, the Spirit of God has come. What does that mean to you and to me right now? Many things. For brevity's sake, I'm going to go with three right now. And I want you to find yourself. If you're a Christ follower, if, if you're not a Christ follower, this is the plan of God for your life, that you would be invited in by grace, be able to respond in faith, and that God himself would come and live within you. If you're a Christ follower, what are you doing with the Spirit of God in your life? This is the great promise of Abraham right through the ages, the whole culmination of the Old Testament. Let's ask, what does the Spirit do in our lives? Number one, Galatians 4. In the book of Galatians, I chose to stay there for most of these of the three. Let's go. Number one, what does the Spirit do in your life and in my life today? Galatians 4 verse 6. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What happens when the Spirit of God comes and dwells within you? From within you, God speaks to who you are. Almost like a living conscience, if you will. You've got a picture in your mind of a living conscience. A God Himself as a living conscience within your being speaks to you. And what does He do? What does He speak to you of? He affirms you as your as your place as a child of God. I nearly said as a children of God. You are a child of God. He affirms your primary identity. When the Spirit of God comes and takes up residency within you and me, He, he from within us, convinces us of this reality because you live in a world that is going to constantly undermine it. You live in a world that's going to drive you to performance. You live in a world that's going to constantly tell you that God's not interested in you, that you're a loser, that you've got no place. That, that because of what you've done, you're outside of what God's doing. And so God, God sends His Spirit within you and within me and from within. He says, no, you are none of those things. You are my child. And from within, He forms an identity that pervades how we think, how we feel, how we make choices in our world no longer outside trying to make God love us, but inside because He does. How are you doing in your primary identity as a child of God? The second thing we see that the Spirit does in our lives, I've got to pick only three, is that He transforms our character, making us more like Jesus. Galatians, again, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In the garden, image of God, oh, evil alongside. Then Christ transforms, he breaks the power of evil, but there's still this residue there. The Spirit of God now placed at the center of who we are, Day by day at work, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, transforming your very nature. What that means for me as a husband, what it means for me as a father, what it means for me as a citizen living in the South Peninsula. 
transforming who I am from the inside. And the third thing I want us to see today. Doug, what do I have to remember? Popeye. Number three, the Spirit of God empowers us to carry the gospel outwards in mission. Acts 1 verse 8. But you will receive power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God said to Abraham, or Abram all those years ago, uh, through all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. How are all the nations of the earth blessed through Abram? As the snake crusher comes through his line, as Christ comes and as the Spirit is poured out upon his church, you and I swept up into that, that great plan of God. We receive power as the Spirit of God comes upon us and empowers us to be witnesses to the gospel. I suppose we would, in a sense, be the ends of the earth for those guys back then, right? I mean, we're on the South Peninsula of Cape Town. How are you doing in being one of Christ's witnesses in, in what God is doing in restoring our world? The key in all of these things, whether it be your affirmation as a child of God, whether it be the character transformation you seek, or whether it be the mission of God that you want to give your life to in the world, the answer, the question is, what are you doing with the Spirit of God in your life? How are you inviting Him in? How are you cooperating with Him? How is He at work in you, affirming you as His child, transforming you into Christ's likeness? And commissioning you out into our world. This is why the church, you and I as human beings, ordinary me, ordinary you, get to be Christ's representatives in our world. Because his spirit is at the center of who we are and he's working in and through our lives. Affirming us as his children, transforming us into his likeness and commissioning us out to go and represent him in our world. It's a glorious thing, isn't it? But let's not take that lightly. Can I invite us to stand and to receive that freshly today? We're going to sing. We're going to create a bit of space for God. So where's your deficit right now? Those three works of the Spirit. Given that you can see right from the garden, God has been at work. Right from Abraham, God has been at work. In all these ways, to work to the place where the Spirit of God would be able to fill you and I as Christ followers and affirm us as His children, transform us into His likeness and commission us out and, and empower us like Popeye is what I forgot to say. While we were praying, someone in the prayer meeting had this picture of Popeye. Popeye is this weedy, scrawny little dude, right? If you don't know who Popeye is, this is going to be totally lost on you. Popeye is this scrawny, weeny little dude. And then what, does Pop, what happens to Popeye when he takes his spinach? He's transformed, right? He receives a power that he never had within himself. Now spinach is similar to spirit in spelling. But it's a brilliant illustration of what the Spirit of God does. Are you a Christ follower who's living without your spirit, spinach? Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to not miss this one and mixing this metaphor. 
Are you a Christ follower who's light on the Spirit of God in your life? Do you need right now to be a Christ? There's something supernatural about the Christian faith. Yes, it's logical. Yes, it's rational. There's so much truth and so much evidence. It's glorious. It adds such a confidence to us. That's not all it is. The Spirit of the living God comes and lives within us as His children. They can't just leave us the same. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Would you by faith, I I don't know if it's affirmation as a child. I don't know if you're holding on to be more than in character than what you currently are. You're trusting God for change within you toward Christ-likeness. I don't know, has the flame of mission gone cold in your life? And your faith has become about you and not about what God is doing in the world and joining Him on mission. I don't know what it is, but God says He'll give you power if you ask Him. So let's ask Him together. Come Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my life? Will you pray that prayer as you stand there? Come Holy Spirit, would you come and fill my life? More of you in my life, Lord. I wonder what's that specific thing that you're asking God to do? supernaturally in your life which of those three things let's just take a few minutes to do business with Jesus as we ask the spirit to come and to do what only he can do what God promises in his word he will do but for your life in this moment there's a nowness to the Spirit. There's a nowness for you. This is the band keep tinkling and maybe sing a few words over us. Would you would you pray those prayers that you need to pray to Jesus? Just do business with Jesus. This is no longer Luke preaching. This is you and Christ asking for the Spirit in your life.